Great to have you. My name's Matt. Uh, if you are new here with us, along with Tim, I want to say hello. Uh, hopefully I can do that in person afterwards. Um, today we are in 2 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses, just two verses, 16 and 17. So why don't I pray for us, and then we will get right to it. Heavenly Father, it is a great thing to be able to gather together on a weekly basis. It's a, it's a great thing to be able to come in peace and Lord, uh, to know as we do come that uh, you are speaking to your people. Uh, Lord, I'm thankful for your word, thankful for the, for the gathered uh, people together to be able to worship and, and praise you and to know that uh, you hear our voice and Lord, that you are speaking. And so I pray today as we turn our attention to your word once again and to the topic of your word, uh, Lord, I pray our confidence in the word of God would grow and I pray our conviction around its uh, place in our lives, Lord, would grow as well. So please, use me in spite of my own sin, and Lord, would you help us in spite of the uh, fallibility of our, of our minds and the distractibility of our, of our hearts, Lord, I pray we'd be able to focus and to hear from you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I wanna begin uh, by telling uh, the story, uh, the conversion story, uh, of, a, of a man who's uh, famous in uh, church history, St. Augustine. Uh, you might know that name. Uh, probably he's one of the, you know, very old guys who wrote doctrine that we tend to know. He's got a cool name, especially since he's St. Augustine of Hippo. That's always a great way to be remembered. Uh, he was uh, born in modern-day Algeria. Uh, this was back in the 300s, so a long, long time ago. He was a very smart guy. Uh, his mother was a Christian, his father was not, and he grew up uh, not as a believer, though he was interested in, in spiritual things. Uh, he was a, an academic. Uh, at the time, he was a professor of rhetoric, which doesn't sound very cool, but at the time, it was a very prestigious uh, kind of place, uh, spoke Latin, wrote many languages, and studied all sorts of disciplines, uh, uh, science, philosophy, and, and religion. Uh, he said of himself that at the time, like growing up, he was fascinated by religion and Christianity, but that he was held captive by the things of this world. Uh, fascinated, kind of entangled with the desires and pursuits of, of the world. But he studied the Bible a lot. Uh, and one day, his friend came to see him and noticed, uh, you know, they had parchments back then, not books, parchment. One of the parchments he saw was the book of Romans. And so he was asking him about it, they were talking about it. And his friend told Augustine a story of this guy he knew who uh, had given up everything for the sake of God. Uh, he'd given away his life, become a monk, devoted himself completely to religious ideals, and Augustine was very moved by this. He really admired it, and, and there grew within him something that had been sort of growing uh, for a while, which was a sense of restlessness, a sense of, of desire to actually be that kind of a guy, to give up everything, to follow the Lord, but he just felt like he couldn't do it. He felt scared. I think we can understand. He knew it would mean giving up his job, which he loved. He knew it would mean giving up his lifestyle which he also loved. He had many lovers. He had many parties. He was someone who fully engaged in all that the world had to offer and the prospect of giving that up, it just filled him with uncertainty and fear. And so he went for a walk, took his parchments with him and he was just wrestling, right? Like, like many of us have, uh, wrestling with what God would want him to do with what his life was about. And as he tells the story, he finally threw himself upon the ground. He was just completely distraught. And he said these words out loud, how long, how long, why not end my impure life this very hour? Words of, of desperation and words also of, 
of hopelessness. Like, like, like what is my life is what he came to ask. And at that moment, uh, he heard some words for some children nearby. They were, they were playing a game or something, and, and they were saying these words over and over. Take and read. Take and read. And, and he felt that it was a word from God. And he opened up the scroll that he had brought with him uh, to Romans, and this verse is what his eyes fell upon. Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And in that moment, his entire life changed. He was flooded with certainty about who Christ was and, and the desire, the need he saw to leave his old life and to follow Jesus. He became one of the most influential uh, writers and, and theologians in, in Christian history. I tell the story uh, because today we are going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about the power of the Bible, the value of the Bible. And I tell the story uh, not because uh, we should have the idea that like, if we just find the right verse in the right way at the right time, something amazing and magical and powerful will, will happen. That's not, that's not the story of Augustine's conversion. What we have is a man who had been reading the Bible for years and years and years, had it in his head, but in that moment, by the Spirit, it was transferred to a conviction of the heart, and his entire life changed. It's not an exceptional story. That, that is always the story of how God moves and how God has moved in many of our lives. I'm sure many of us could tell stories like that, where the, the word of God has spoken to us in a time of need and we've heard the voice of God. So that is going to be our, our topic for today, the nature and the value of the Bible. And that's because we're going to look at, at two verses of the Bible, which, are, which famously explain what scripture is, what, what it does. So without further ado, let's look at them, and then we'll, we'll pull apart some principles for us this morning. So here's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Not very many verses, uh, but we're going to have four points uh, to work our way through this because there's a lot, lot in here. So here's the first one, all about the Bible. The Bible is divinely inspired, is what I take from the very beginning. The, the Bible is divinely inspired, the very beginning of verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Now that expression is one that in theological terms, uh, we say divinely inspired. Uh, we know what inspired means, I think. Fairly familiar with that. Uh, artists are looking to be inspired, and creative types. Uh, what they usually mean is that they, they have this idea that something outside of themselves will, will give direction or influence or, or ideas so that then they can create. And, and that, is, that is kind of what happened with the Bible. Uh, the authors of scripture were inspired by something, someone outside of themselves, by God himself. We shouldn't have the idea uh, that God gave them words like a, uh, like a stenographer, like they were dictated. That, that's not how the Bible was written. They, the words that we have were inspired by God, meaning the authors used their own creativity and intellectual ability to write down words in their own particular style, but all of that was sovereignly governed and directed by God's power so that the words that were written were the exact words that God wanted written. The word that God wanted uh, communicated. So this is what we have when we look at the Bible. We have exactly what God wanted to say to the people of, of the world. 
And, and there's often a lot of questions around this because this really is foundational. People who are new to the faith or, or maybe questioning faith, this usually comes up. What, how do I understand the Bible? What exactly am I reading? Because most of the time when we're reading anything that's been written down, there's always some, uh, we take it with a grain of salt, right? The author's intention may, may not actually be what came out or, or we have to look at it from certain points of view and we can be skeptical or, or critical. It's not that we shouldn't have skeptical questions about the Bible, but we can't have confidence that this actually is what God wanted to say. And, and just to clarify this, we look at another verse, which kind of gives a little more detail in terms of how, the, how these words were actually written. Uh, this is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, uh, which says this, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Paul, sitting to write to Timothy, he was actually thinking of what he wanted to say. He was actually using his own phraseology. That's why Paul's writings look different than John's. But the words themselves are the words that God intended. Not just for Timothy, but for, for all of the church. Which is why we say that the Bible is um, inerrant, is the word we would use, meaning it has no error. Sometimes infallible is used, it does not fail. But what we mean to say is that these words are all from, from God, not just from the, the people that wrote them years ago. Now, uh, it's, good to have, it's good to be able to answer some questions about this, and I only have time for a couple, but the, the, the question is often raised, you know, I hear that, Matt, um, uh, and, and maybe that is true that, you know, at that time when Paul was writing, he wrote down like the exact words that God wanted him to, but that was a long time ago. And when I look at my Bible, even there's sometimes there's footnotes where, you know, it says, well, this, this word may have been this or this, or some parts like the end of Mark, where there's some parts of the manuscripts where this part is added and not. So my real question is, or my next question, how do I know, how can I, like, is this reliable? Are the copies we have of the original writings uh, reliable? And there are, just so you know, some great works on this, like exhaustive works on the historicity, the reliability of the biblical text. Uh, I'll just mention a couple things that's been helpful for me in, in my walk with the Lord. Uh, one of them uh, is the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, that's a name that we uh, often have heard of. In 1946, there was a young boy who walked into a cave near the Dead Sea and found a bunch of scrolls. In fact, a whole bunch of clay pots with scrolls in them that were very, very old. Uh, this was an incredibly significant discovery when it comes to the biblical text because in those jars, uh, there were scrolls that were a thousand years older than the ones we had up to that point. So what it meant is that biblical scholars were able to take like the book of Isaiah that we had and compare it to a book of Isaiah that was a thousand years earlier. And the question they were wondering is, are they the same or are they vastly different? They didn't have photocopy machines, right? There were just people writing them out. And if you've ever tried to do that, we make a lot of errors. And so the question is, is this, are these actually reliable copies? And what they found was they were, they were incredibly accurate. Like in Isaiah 53, the chapter, the entire chapter, there was like 10 letters that were a little bit different. No meaning change. That was what they discovered. That, that we can be certain that the reliability of, of scripture is, is rock solid. That even thousands of years past, and, and we could assume just as God gave the inspiration for the scriptures, he also preserved it for all of those years. That's the one thing that, that helps me just in terms of grabbing in my mind, how can I believe this is true? The second thing is this. Um, 
you know the philosopher Plato, the Greek philosopher, right? We all know and love. Um, everyone knows the name Plato. Uh, some of us, when we go to whatever college, university, we might read Plato. Um, Plato is not someone that we think to ourselves, man, I wonder if the book I'm reading that says Plato is actually him. We just, we just, we study it, academics study it, we learn about it in philosophy class, we, we take it for granted. These are the words of Plato. Do you know how many copies of the original manuscript of Plato we have? There's like four, four or five. There's like not very many. And yet, we don't often question whether this is Plato. It's like, that's what he wrote, we can agree, disagree. Do you know of the biblical text, there are thousands of copies in the manuscript. Just think of that difference, right? The biblical text is the greatest resource in terms of ancient text, in terms of how many we have, the quality of what we have, far surpasses all of the other ancient writings. So when you're thinking about the Bible and what it is, we, we can have confidence. That's, that's what the Bible says about itself. Look, this is God-breathed. This is what God wanted to say to the people of the world and gave it, inspired men who wrote it down faithfully, again, superintended by God, and that now we can hold in our hands these very words. It's an incredible blessing from God. The real question, I think, is whether we want to hear these words, whether we value them. That, that, that really is the wrestle in terms of the human condition, in terms of approaching the Bible. Do we, do we actually consider them to be valuable, worth our time, worth our attention, worth our effort? Uh, there's a friends of mine uh, that years ago, they were going to make a real estate investment. And uh, they weren't sure about whether they should make this investment or not. They wanted an expert's opinion. And so they paid someone to give them advice. His name was Ozzy Jurek. And if you know that guy, he's a realtor. He's on radio, and he had a thing where you could pay, I think it was 300 bucks for an hour of his time, and you would go, and he would tell you everything that he knew about this area, and they were like, we, we want the best advice. It was worth it to hear his voice, because they didn't know. I said, how was it? I said, it was actually really, really informative, super helpful. I, I say that because I think to myself, do we, what sort of value do we have of the Bible? Like, is it worth our time, our, our, not exactly our money, but our resources? Like, when we think of this book that we have often on our shelves, do we say to ourselves, I, I really want to know what God has to say about this particular area of my life. I'm going to devote energy and resources to it. That really is the question, isn't it? There may be some wrestle about the reliability of Scripture, the text of, of Scripture, fair enough. But really, it's a heart issue. Do we believe that these are God's words? divinely inspired for our good, for our benefit. Uh, this quote came to my mind. It's actually been on my, on my wall since I was a kid. My mom bought this poster at one point. And these are uh, a quote from Albert Einstein, which says simply this, I want to know God's thoughts. The rest are details. Now listen, Albert Einstein, I don't know if he was a Christ follower. Okay, he had some, his theology was a bit all over the place. But that, that desire, I think it's a good desire. What was he saying? I want, I want the real goods I don't want all the fluff. I, I want to know the essence of the universe, what it's about, what the purpose, my purpose, the, 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 the fabric of the universe. That's what he wants. And that is what we have, you understand. God has given us everything that we need. That's the first thing we see here. But there's, a, there's sort of a, another truth that is linked to this. Not just that the Bible is divinely inspired, but that the Bible is authoritative. Uh, this is, I think, implicit. If, if these are the words of God, then uh, they cannot be uh, suggestions or just, you know, advice that we would like to take or not take. They must be authoritative. They, they must imply obedience. Uh, 
This, I think, is a big challenge for us. If you think of my, my friends who went to see Ozzy Jurek, they went there in the way that most of us go to seek wisdom. Uh, we go to an expert, someone we think who might have something to offer, we receive it, and then we decide whether we want to implement it. Right? That's, that's what we love. We, we love advice, we love suggestion, we love to think over things, but then we like to be the ones who ultimately get to decide. Why? Because it's our life. What do we say to people, right? I, thanks for your advice, but it's my life. I, I have to live it so I get to make the decision. And we tend to approach scripture in the same way. Where we said, I would like to know what God has to say, but then ultimately I'm going to filter it through my ideas of what would be best. And, and then I'm going to do that. And yet that's not, that's not the way the Bible talks about itself. Uh, here's a couple of, of verses. Here's 2 Peter 2, uh, 1 to 3. It says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So through the knowledge of Christ, which we get how? Through the Bible, right? We, we have, we've been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness. So think about that for a moment. God, God is saying in this verse and other verses, right? All scripture, it's all for your, for your good. The life that you want to live, the life that we're trying to decide how to live, God's saying, I'm giving you everything you need. And it's not a suggestion because I'm not just some other guy who has wisdom. I, I'm God. I know exactly how life should be lived and the route to genuine joy and peace and happiness. And so while the Bible isn't exhaustive, right? You're not going to go to it to fix your carburetor. You were going to go to it for the deep existential questions of life. The, thing that, the things that motivate every other aspect of our living, like the nature of human beings, the nature of reality, the nature of morality. What, what, is, what is evil? What is good? What is the purpose of, of every human being? How is the world made? What is the, the essence of, of gender and sexuality and ethics and morality? All of these deep things that inform our life, we have it in the word. And it's not just a suggestion. It's, it's, it's a command. In fact, Jesus, uh, when he's giving the, the commission to the church, right? When he's saying, go and make disciples, Matthew 28. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to what? To observe all that I have commanded you. In there is the implicit authority, right? Don't just tell them, look, here's some great ideas I have for the world and they could take it or leave it. This is what I'm commanding as the savior of the world. It actually leads to life and godliness and goodness and joy. The challenge for us as Christians is to see the word as it is revealed. Uh, some of the technical jargon is that we would say the Bible is sufficient. We say the Bible is authoritative. This is really the dividing line. Uh, there, there's a previous line right, which is maybe differentiate those who are people of faith and not, right? You, you might see this as an interesting historical work, but not actually words from God. Uh, that would be uh, a dividing line between faith and not faith, right? I'm a Christian or not, depending on how you might read the Bible. But even within the church, there are some dividing lines in terms of how you see the Bible. Uh, for example, the, the Reformation was, was one of these lines, right? Between the Protestant church and the Catholic church, this was one of the big things, the reformers said that uh, the authority, the word of God, it was sola scriptura, that the scriptures alone are the authority. 
And yet the, the Catholic Church would say, well, yes, Scripture is from God, but on equal footing uh, is the traditions of men, the councils, the Pope, other human wisdom, they would say inspired by God, and they have equal weight. And, and Luther was saying, no, 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 this, this, is, this is the authority. This is the one that only the Bible. And it's interesting to look at what happens when we allow other sources of authority into our faith. So just to, to sort of highlight this, here's a quote. Uh, this is from one of the Catholic bishops at the time uh, writing about the reformers, right? The guys who were saying, no, this, this is all we need. The Bible is all we need. Uh, he says this, we assert that in the scriptures is not expressly contained the whole doctrine necessary either for faith about morals and therefore besides the written word of God, there is also required the unwritten word of God that is divine and apostolic tradition. And so he was arguing for what we, we see in the Catholic Church back then and today, that yes, yes, the Bible, but also uh, the Vatican councils. Yes, uh, the Pope, the declarations, they are on equal weight. And what we need to understand is that that is not the how the Bible speaks about itself. And that when you walk down that road, you open yourself up to, to incredible distortions of doctrine. And, and just to kind of uh, show how this, um, the destructive possibilities that exist... Uh, I want to tell you about an interview I saw between uh, Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro is a devout Jew, uh, you know, commentator, has a podcast, and he has an interview show. And he was interviewing uh, a modern-day uh, Catholic bishop. His name is Robert uh, Barron. And Ben Shapiro asked this question. He said, look, uh, I'm, I'm a faithful Jew. Uh, I think I'm a pretty good guy, he said. I, I follow the, all the commandments uh, in the Bible, not just the 10, but all the other ones. Uh, I, I talk about Judeo-Christian values. Like, I, I'm a pretty good guy. I need to know, uh, am, I, am I going to heaven? Like, is, is it a problem for me that I'm not a Christian? And look at, uh, look at the response from Bishop Robert Barron. He said this, Christ is the privileged route to salvation. God's love the world. He gave his only son. Uh, quoted John 3.16. However, Vatican II clearly teaches that someone outside the explicit Christian faith can be saved. They are saved by the grace of Christ indirectly received as they follow their conscience. Vatican II says even that an atheist of goodwill can be saved. So listen, I'm not saying this is an articulation of every Catholic's believing of salvation. What I want us to see here is how did he, what authority did he appeal to to say that? A Vatican Council. So you have an instance where there is something that contradicts Scripture Right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then you have the wisdom of man who says, well, there might be something else. And they put it on even, even ground. This is incredibly dangerous. This, this distorts the very nature of faith. It can. And so what we need to be clear about is that there are not many sources of authority in our lives. That there is one. That, that is the word of God. It's, it's the ruler that makes itself and everything else uh, is measured by it. And for us to be clear about this then informs our own personal lives. So again, just to kind of shift the focus, this isn't just an issue in the Catholic Church, it's an issue in the Protestant Church. How is it that we have Protestant churches that are now uh, affirming uh, sexual practices and understandings that are contrary to Scripture? Well, I would say that happened because years earlier, that particular church or denomination stopped reading the Bible in this way. Stop seeing it as literal and authoritative, and so things begin to shift. And again, not just to put it out there, but this is true for our lives as well. To the extent that we don't see the Bible as clear and authoritative, 
we, we can easily begin to shift. We can begin to adopt other understandings or practices that are contrary to scripture and it, it won't bother us because we don't see this as the measuring rod. And it becomes very dangerous that, that we end up in a place far from the Lord. So what we have in the Bible, according to the Bible, is something that is from God, the very words of God, and something that is authoritative for our lives, and not just authoritative in a heavy-handed way, but is actually life-giving. And that's the third point. The Bible is divinely inspired, the Bible is authoritative, and the Bible is profitable. Profitable. Look at verse 16 again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. Now, profitability is something we're fairly familiar with, usually in relation to money, right? We, we want to profit if we have a business. So what kind of profit is this uh, talking about? Well, the words help us to know. For teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Uh, you could say it this way. What the Bible does is it works to accomplish God's good goals in our lives. And there's lots of words for this, uh, like sanctification, uh, like growth in, in uh, spiritual maturity, growth in good character, uh, godliness, growth in Christ-likeness and holiness, all the, all the things that we see in the Bible that God intends to do in our lives, it happens through, through the Bible. That, that, that's what it's saying, that it's profitable for us, it's beneficial for us. I think the challenge, though, again, is that we may accept that to a certain extent, but if we think of profitability... We, like, let me put it this way. If you wanted a profitability for your financial portfolio and you went to a financial advisor, uh, what advice would they give in general? They would say, look, what you need to do is diversify, right? You're, you're not going to go to any financial advisor and they're going to say, okay, I got the one stock for you. How much you got? $10,000? Let's put it all in this. We have one stock. When this thing goes up, man, you're going to be rich. No one would say that. Or if they did, you should not listen to them. Because you're exposed to huge risk, right? And if it goes down, you're, everything's gone. They would say, look, diversify. That's why we have mutual funds, right? A bunch of different investments that over the, you know, all of them, things tend to go up. That is, that is wisdom. That is wisdom for most areas of life. But that is not wisdom for a spiritual life. You understand? It, we are not supposed to diversify the, the input and authority we have in our lives and look to a whole bunch of different sources. But that is what we tend to do. We have podcasts we listen to. We have our uncle who seems to know a lot. We have <laughs> books that we read. We have all these, and we have the Bible, right? The Bible, where we, of course, we're people of the word. We, we kind of put it all together and we try to, in our own wisdom, say, what is the best thing for me? And, and that's not the way the Bible speaks about itself. It, it is exclusively the authority, the, the words from God, and it alone is what will accomplish the work of God in our lives. And I want us just to see how the Bible speaks about itself, its, its uh, preeminence, its, its wisdom, its power. So here's just from Old Testament to New Testament, a few verses. Here's Deuteronomy 32. This is um, uh, Moses has received the law and he's speaking to the people of God about it. He says this, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children, notice that language, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. Moses isn't saying, look, this isn't really, is really good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff out there. You should go to the other nations, all the other, and, and find the best of everything. He's saying, this is it. If you want life, genuine life, according to God, this is the source. Look to it exclusively. Look at Psalm 1. 
Psalm 1 verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And what is the effect? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Think of the imagery. Think of the value that this is the water. This is where life is found. And look to the New Testament. Uh, There are a lot of places we could go, but here's Matthew 4, where Jesus is being tempted by Satan. Jesus, the, the God himself, in the flesh. What does he appeal to? What source of strength does he use when he's being tempted into sin? Uh, Matthew 4, 4, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's making clear, when it comes to the, the wrestle for our soul, we need to look to the word. That, that is the source of life. That is the source of strength. In Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What else is there that can do that? What, what else do we think there is that can actually understand the complexity of the human heart and the fabric of reality itself and God himself and bring it all together to bring us wisdom and insight? We, the word above all else brings profit, brings benefit in our lives. I think maybe a good way to help us understand this, I think this will track for a young and old. Um, you know how in Avengers Infinity War, uh, how Thanos is uh, you know, wanting to kill uh, half the population of the universe, right? very most evil villain, and the heroes, right, you know this part, are uh, wrestling, but they realize what's happening, right? We got to go fight Thanos. We got to stop him. This is like the worst thing that could, could ever happen. And there's this moment where Thor, one of the heroes, he, he says to them, okay, look, but we can't go fight him yet. And they're all like, time is of the essence, right? He's going to get the infinity stones. We all know what's happening. So we got to go right away. And he says, no. Why? Because they have to go get the right weapon. And they're like, what are you talking about? If we're going to kill Thanos, we need a Thanos killing weapon, we, we can't just go with the, our superpowers, little puny Spider-Man thing. We have to go and have something that has real power, is his point. Okay? You, you, I think you, when you watch the movie, you're probably thinking of the Bible when you saw it. <laughs> what, he's, what he's saying is, look, there's a cosmic battle to be fought. And you need a, a, a powerful weapon. And it just strikes me that I don't know if we realize the kind of battle that's actually going on in our lives. That there is an eternal cosmic battle going on all the time for our hearts. There's an enemy of our soul that prowls around that wants to, to lead us into sin. Our own, our own heart can't be trusted. How, how is it? What do we have? What do we have in our hands? A lot of us, we have plastic knives, plastic tools trying to do the work of God. What the word makes very, very clear is this, this is what we need. This has the power. Look at Augustine's life, right? What was it that could finally bring a conviction to him and free him from all of the bondage in his life? The word. The Spirit of God, opening our eyes and hearts to see the truth of this. And why is it so powerful? Because in the Word of God, Christ himself is revealed. The the true help for humanity is revealed in the pages of Scripture. That we come to understand the good news of God found in the person of Jesus Christ. That he is the one who has victory over Satan, sin, and death. And that by our faith, we can be bonded to him, united with him in that victory. When we understand the truth of the gospel and then the implications of the gospel through the word, then we have power. Then we can fight the good fight of faith as we are called to. But we need to see it for what it is. 
It's, it's divinely inspired. It's authoritative. It will be profitable as we put it to good use. I think this is primarily an issue of the heart for us. Meaning, do we believe this to be true? Do we, do we value the word in this way? But I will say on a practical note that there are some other things that make this difficult. Uh, I think sometimes uh, pastors, right, who have a job, what's my job? To sit and study the Bible all week, right? That's what I do. It's easy, in a sense, for me to say, look, what you need to do then is study the Bible more. And that, that is true. But there are some of us for whom that, that is not an easy thing to do. The idea of sitting down in the morning with a quiet room with the Bible in front of us and trying to focus, and that, that's just not how we learn best. So, so hear me, I'm, I'm not saying that you just need to get up earlier and just read. I mean, that might be good unless you have young kids, and then there's no way, right? As soon as your eyelid opens, they're like, you're awake, everyone's awake, let's go and run around, let's see, and you're, how do you do it? You have to find a way to make it work, okay? It may be that you are someone for whom the audio Bible is going to be the best, right? That's just how you access information. Great. It may be that you're someone who's relational, and so getting into men's Bible study or going to community groups, someplace, women's Bible study, where you can actually engage with the word and see it in the, in the text. That's the key, not just listening to someone else. But I'm just saying, if this is a conviction of our heart, then we will find a way to allow the word of God to infiltrate and, and, and transform our mind and our heart. But we need to invest. We need to spend the time. We need to make it a priority. And we need to do this not just for our own sake, but uh, point number four, because it's good for other people in our lives too. Point number four is that the Bible equips us. Equips us. And this is verse 17. All of this, what scripture is, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, That little phrase, the man of God, Uh, is an Old Testament expression, really means like the messenger of God. And this reminds us that what we're reading is actually uh, from Paul to Timothy, who was the lead pastor of a church. And so Paul's writing to him, the messenger of God, the the preacher, and these words are specifically for him and, and apply readily or immediately to others in his position, like me, who are preaching the word. Paul wants Timothy, to know, look, you need to see the Bible in this way if you're going to preach it correctly. And and that's very, very true. But this is not just for Timothy, as we've seen all the way through. It was intended to be read in the the church gathering like like this. And God intended for the whole church to glean these principles. And that's because uh, it isn't just Timothy who has gospel work to do. It's, It's everyone. All who are Christians are called to be ministers of the gospel. Uh, And in case you're not clear about that or just want some sort of added emphasis, here's Ephesians 4, which is really helpful, I think, in terms of understanding the role of of kind of the different parts of the church. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, like the, the church leadership, to do what? To equip the saints. Who are the saints? Everyone in the church is, is, is a saint, is made holy uh, through faith. So to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So what that means is that every one of us, everyone who's a Christian, has work to do, good work to do. And that if you have the idea of church as, as like the pastors, one who's paid to kind of go and do what God has called the church to do, that's, that's not what it is. Uh, part of my role is to equip. How? By pointing us to the Bible and saying, look at what it says here for all of us. And, and now that we're equipped, we can go and, and do this. And if you think of the opportunities that you have in your life, you will never be able to take advantage of them 
if you're not equipped from the word. Like think of the people in your life, right? Think of your neighbor. If you ever are able to talk about something other than uh, the weather and uh, the fall leaves changing, which is fine and good, right? You're hoping at some point to talk about deeper things. What are you going to have to say if you don't know the word of God? Uh, what about your family members who might ask you about your faith or, or your coworkers or anyone, anyone who might be hurting, anyone who might be struggling? How are we going to effectively help them and actually care for them? The only way is if we know the word of God, is if we know God's wisdom and God's help and, and, and God's hope for them. Our own ideas are just going to fall to the ground. But the truths of God's word contain a power because they are connected to him. And we as the people of God, we, we should have a heart that, that not only wants to be changed for ourselves, but wants to go out into the world with something to say. Something that will lead people back to the source of our strength and our hope. So, so let me say it this way as, as kind of a final image. We all know that we live in a very rainy environment, right? We saw this weekend. We live in a temperate rainforest. We've been reminded of it day in, day out. We probably will be for the next six months. There's a lot of water. But it's, that's not the case spiritually. Okay, spiritually, we live in, in a dry land, an arid landscape of genuine spiritual truth. We live in a desert, and, and people are, are desperate for, for water that will actually quench their soul, like it says in Psalm 1. And we are the ones who are planted near the stream, right? We are the ones who have genuine life to give, and how do we give it to others? Only if we, if we grab a cup full of that water, if we carry it with us in our mind and our heart, and when we go to others, we can speak the words of truth that lead them to Christ, that bring genuine healing, genuine hope, and genuine life. And why would we want to leave the home without having that in our hands or in our heart? So I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us as a people that this would be the conviction of our hearts and the joy of our hearts to know Christ more through his word and to be used as, as we meet other people and have opportunity to share the word of God with them. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the grace of, of giving us the Bible. We thank you, God, that you have preserved the text of scripture. We thank you that you first revealed the truths of scripture to the man who faithfully wrote it down, the prophets who spoke it, the, the scribes who wrote it. Lord, I pray that it would be clear in our minds and hearts that, that this is an authoritative text and that it has been given for our good and for our blessing. I pray, Lord, that we would use it as a measuring rod for all the wisdom of the world, for all the thoughts in our heads, even for the, for the things that we speak that we think might be from you. May we, may we look to the word as the authority and measure everything according to it. And Lord, may we seek to be changed by it. May, may it actually be the delight of our heart and, and, and the joy of our heart to, to think over the, the truths of scripture, the hope and the joy that's found therein. And I pray ultimately that we would be equipped for the good work that you have for us. That as we speak with others, we would not just bring our own wisdom or things we, we listen to, but actually we would bring the word which cuts to the deepest parts of our soul. And that Jesus, you would reveal yourself to others as we uh, speak the words of scripture. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.